Live from the Merton Park, USA, I'm Tavis Smiley, and you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to see you and me back in stride again. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. All of our socials can be found at KBLA 1580. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, everything at KBLA 1580. Let me also invite you right now to download our app at KBLA 1580. Download the app. And listen to us live anywhere in the world in real time, but only by downloading our app right now at KBLA 1580. Should you miss us any day in real time, check out the podcast of our program by going to uh, the app uh, and um, listen at your leisure uh, anytime. You can also watch the live stream of this program by tapping on the KBLA TV icon on our app or by going to our YouTube channel. Let me also invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another great show on tap for you today in our second hour. Do the firings of Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon from Fox News and CNN respectively signify any kind of shift in the cable television industry news values? Maybe less tolerance for provocative primetime personalities? Yes, no, maybe. Are these high-profile firings indicative of any broader trends in the media industry? If so, what do these trends mean for the future of journalism and news reporting? Or are these firings just about the money? Tucker fired because he cost Fox News $787 million and Don fired by CNN before he said or did something else that ended up costing CNN $787 million. We'll be joined by scholar, award-winning journalist, and professor Dr. Carsonia K. Wise Whitehead uh, to discuss that more in Hour 2. In our third Hour 2 conversations, up first, a federal grand jury has begun deliberations in the seditious conspiracy trial for members of the Proud Boys for their actions surrounding the January 6th Capitol riot and insurrection. Former U.S. Attorney Barbara McQuaid is back today to unpack this case and shed some light on Donald Trump's still unfolding legal battles at the top of our three. On the B side of our three, the CEO of the Black-Owned and Operated Lindustry joins us live in studio for a conversation about the success of Lindustry in its mission to provide financial assistance to help level the playing field for small businesses in the community so that they can succeed. I look forward to a conversation with Lindustry CEO Everett Sands on the backside of our three. But in this first hour, let's talk politics and more with the national affairs correspondent for The Nation magazine and host of the weekly Nation podcast, Jeet Here. Jeet, welcome back here. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm fine. It's, it's great to talk to you again. It's good to have you on. Thank you uh, Thank you for your time. Glad we got an hour. A whole lot of political stuff to sort of unpack in this hour. Um, let me start broad. Yeah, this, uh, this is not a not a slow news week. No, I was thinking, I was thinking the same thing. Not just thinking. I was saying to somebody yesterday who's not in the news business. Uh, they were just asking me how my week was. I said, you know, have you been following the news? I said, yeah, I follow the news. I said, well, you should know. I've had a crazy week because uh, it's in, in talk radio. It can be feast or famine in our business period. It can be feast or famine. Some days there's nothing to talk about. It seems, and other days there's too much well, to talk Yeah, Lennon once said. Um, Vladimir Lenin once said. You know, there are um, decades in which nothing happens, and there are weeks in which decades happen. Exactly. And I think we've, we've had a few weeks in which decades have happened. No, that's a powerful point. I love, I love that line. Uh, yeah, it's one, it's one of those weeks, and so there's a lot to talk about uh, in, 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 uh, in this hour today. Let me, let me start with this. Um, everybody, of course, uh, is aware the president made his announcement earlier this week that he is uh, going to seek re-election. Um, I'm, I'm curious, to, uh, for starters, to get your 
take on the reaction to that. No surprise, really, um, that he was going to make that announcement. Uh, but just your, your thoughts, broadly speaking, uh, on um, the response to that announcement uh, and what you think we can expect in the coming months. Sure. I mean, it's, it's no surprise. And I, in a lot of ways, I think Biden has kind of earned a lot of goodwill, um, uh, not just for the sort of legislative achievements of the first two years, but also, you know, the Democrats did, you know, surprisingly well um, in the uh, sort of uh, midterms. And so people, you know, I think I think there's a lot of people in the party who feel he's the way to go. But I think that is also conversely, you know, there's a all the polls show there's a you know segment of the Democrats who kind of feel like, you know, um, it's not that they dislike Biden, but they think, you know, he's uh, getting on there in age and they'd want someone uh, younger. And I, I was actually struck by a poll. And, you know, we can take polls, you know, always with a grain of salt. But um, uh, this is Fox, which which does do good polls. Uh, and they had, um, you know, uh, Biden at 60 percent, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. at 20 percent and Mariana Williamson at uh, 9%. And so I think that, like, you know, and then, you know, I think Kennedy and Williamson, for, you know, one could say many things about them, but they're not mainstream Democrats. So the fact that they're getting 30%, like, is uh, maybe indicative that, uh, you know, like, um, there is an appetite for some, someone other than Biden, even though the party has sort of coalesced around Biden. Mm. Not even Kennedy uh, family members are behind Robert Kennedy Jr.'s um, uh challenge uh to the president yeah yeah no i mean it, well, it was makes the numbers even more surprising i mean i think robert kennedy i mean if one knows anything about him you know he's not like uh kind of a, a, a mainstream figure you know like i i i'm trying to figure out his numbers have actually gone up he started with 10 percent, and now he's at 20 i'm kind of wondering where that coming from is it just like the nostalgia for the kennedy name mm-hmm. or you know is there you know like uh, people wanting something else. I think. I think if you have the party coalescing around one candidate, like that, often creates a vacuum. I, I think we saw that in 2016. And uh, I, I mean, I, I thought this was going to be a cakewalk for Biden, and I'm like starting to have a few doubts about that. I, I don't know. I mean, you think- uh, but having said that, I, I mean, I do think both Kennedy and Williamson are, you know, like they're not. Um, uh, they're not candidates I can see winning. Well, obviously, I don't think anybody, anybody thinks they can win. Um, the question is whether or not um, you can give the president a credible challenge. Uh, the last Kennedy uh, to challenge a sitting president didn't win either. Uh, make that Ted Kennedy, uh, the late senator out of Massachusetts yeah. who challenged Jimmy Carter uh, while Carter was a sitting president. Um, so it wasn't that Kennedy won. Clearly, he did not. But the, the, the bloodletting was so vicious and so ugly and all the time and energy and effort that Jimmy Carter spent trying to beat back uh, Ted Kennedy uh, made him really ripe um, for Ronald Reagan, who just frankly ate his lunch in that particular race. Um, so it's not about yeah, winning so much. Yeah. It, the question is whether or not you think that uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. can give the president a credible challenge. Yeah, I, I mean, my initial assumption was always that he can't. Um, uh, I'm a little concerned about the polling, but I actually think, like, once people find out you know, what Robert Kennedy's positions are, that he's just not, you know, people, the, the name has a lot of value, a lot of historic resonance for people. Uh, but, you know, like, when they look at his position on, like, vaccination, uh, and other things, uh, I, I think that, you know, people, I, I think he won't be very credible and he'll shrink. Uh, I mean, the, the, that's sort of my assumption. Yeah, uh, uh, unless there's you know like enough people 
who are like, you know, want to send a message, which, yeah. you know, could happen. I mean, I, I would actually say, I mean, in distinction to Ted Kennedy, I mean, Ted Kennedy in 1980, you know, he's a very formidable figure. He's mm-hmm. like a senator from Massachusetts. He's a guy with a lot of like, you know, like legislative victories. Uh, and he was a real voice for the progressive wing of the Democratic Party that felt Carter betrayed them. I, I don't know if Robert Kennedy has any of that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he has any of that either. Uh, but yet, the poll number you just cited uh, ought to get somebody's attention. Again, I don't believe all polls. It is completely early uh, in this process. Uh, but to the extent that he's at 20 percent does, in fact, uh, speak to the fact that many Democrats just think that Joe Biden is too old um, to uh, yeah. seek uh, reelection. And they may be looking for somebody else. We shall see. When we come forward, uh, I want to get uh, Jeet here's uh, take on what progressives are to do about this. Uh, clearly, uh, no no major Democrat has stepped up to challenge President Biden as yet. I don't expect they will now that he's announced, in fact, that he is running for re-election. And yet it does leave uh, uh, true progressives. We brand this station, of course, as unapologetically progressive. Uh, and it does leave progressives sort of twisting in the wind. Uh, and I wonder what progressives are to think or to do uh, more expressly uh, in the months to come as we lead up to this uh, presidential election in 2024. Just getting started in this hour, a lot of politics to unpack as we continue our conversation with Ajit here of The Nation magazine when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Interrogating your assumptions and expanding your inventory of ideas. Let's get back to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's get back to Jeet here on KBLA Talk 1580. Jeet here is the National Affairs Correspondent for The Nation and host of their weekly podcast, The Nation. Um, uh, delighted to have him in, in this first hour today. Um, so, Jeet, I was saying a moment ago, um, as we were talking about President Biden announcing earlier this week, of course, he is uh, running for re-election. He, uh, in part, as uh, because of what you said earlier, the success of the midterm elections, uh pushed everybody back to the to the sidelines. There was all kind of conversation uh, leading up to uh, the moment of this week when he announced uh, his reelection campaign, all kind of conversation about whether or not he, in fact, would do that and whether or not there would be a credible challenge to him, uh, as we saw uh, from Ted Kennedy against Jimmy Carter back in the day. Um, and so he successfully kept everybody on the sidelines. We have Robert Kennedy Jr., as you mentioned. Uh, we have Marianne Williamson, as you mentioned, but nobody seriously challenging the president. Uh, at this point, and I suspect they will not. But it still begs the question as to what progressives are going to do this time around. At least four years ago, uh, progressives had a couple candidates that were in the running. Uh, but now progressives are pretty, uh, are pretty sidelined at the moment. Uh, your, your your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the big decisions are that, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren uh, and others aren't running uh, again. These These would be candidates who have a real constituency and are a real power. Um, the point, I mean, everyone from both the centrist and the progressive wing of the party have decided to line up behind Biden. Uh, I think that the way to think about this is that, though, that presidential politics is not like the only politics, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, in a lot of ways, you know, like there's... there's um, uh, we saw some real victories recently, like with Brandon Johnson in Chicago, um, and uh, uh, you know a lot of these special elections. I, I think that's where the battle's going to be uh, in terms of like you know changing the party or shifting the party in one direction or another. And I, you know, where you are in like California, you know, like I, I, I think that they, you know. It's going to be a big uh, kind of uh, Senate thing, and the, uh, being a senator from California is a, a very big position. Um, so I, I think that you know, like 
uh, I think uh, for not just progressives, but for anyone in politics, like I think you know the grassroots, that's where the energy is going to be. And then, like, trying to push the Biden White House. I think that there's been a couple of cases where, like, they kind of, um, especially with the new chief of staff, uh, Jeff Zients, like, they're kind of edging a little bit towards the center, but then they get pushed back. And I think that's going to be a, a real important dynamic in the, the coming years, like, you know, just to uh, get Biden to hold the line. Yep. It's going to be fascinating to watch this race um, as it uh, as it unfolds. Uh, if, as everybody seems to be predicting, uh, it's a rematch of Donald Trump and, and, and Joe Biden. Uh, I was talking to one of my guests yesterday. You got two old white guys running against each other. That's not going to inspire a huge turnout. Uh, and to the extent that it does, uh, it will excite older voters. Older voters tend to uh, make a stronger case. Uh, for good turnout on Election Day for the Republican Party. And so I think the age factor in some ways isn't going to make such a big deal. Again, you got two older guys, two older white guys running against each other. Where it does make a difference is in turnout. And to the extent, once again, uh, that older voters tend to be uh, Republican uh, and they are motivated for a variety of reasons to turn out and vote, uh, it's going to be, I think, a challenge for President Biden uh, to turn out the vote. Uh, for starters, just based on that. But, no, but, I, think that, I, I, I think that's right, although I think that I think the midterms actually um, where the young voters did turn out in a healthy amount right. and, and where the real reason why the Democrats did well. You know, I, the, the big dynamic in America right now is that there's the age difference that you mentioned, but also that a lot of young people like have a real loathing for the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much they love Joe Biden, but, you know, they see the Republican Party, you know, as something like that sort of um, like almost like an existential threat to them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like just in terms, I mean, like in the real terms of like climate issue, uh, guns, uh, abortion, like uh, the, the anti-trans stuff. Like, like, like there's a, uh, I don't think you can underestimate, you know, like, you know, the, the negative um, voting and and. Um, to the extent that, I mean, I mean, I think the Democrats, if they don't get young people out, they're going to be a big trouble in 2024. Um, uh, the only demographics that they win are like under 50, right? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and even under 45, really. Uh, but having said that, the, uh, the, you know, Biden's not the ideal candidate, but I, I think, I think that, you know, people, I think if people know what the stakes are and, and on the more positive side, I think some of the stuff Biden did, like in terms of student debt relief, mm-hmm. um, is a big factor. And, you know, like right now, like, I don't think the Dobbs thing and the, you know, the way abortion is an issue has totally changed American politics, right? Like, mm-hmm. like in a way in which like, you know, like for a lot of people, I think they realize now you, you can't ever afford to sit things out. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. I don't disagree um, that young people are going to have to turn out in big numbers uh, for President Biden to save the day, as it were. Um, and we will see, um, you know, what that looks like, obviously. But the other point I was I was pushing toward is is this, that you've got you got to excite young people to come out uh, a second time. And the data I'm looking mm-hmm. at doesn't suggest that they're excited right now. Number one. Number two, you yeah. have to you have to excite the base, broadly speaking, and all the data, as you know, uh, this is pretty incontrovertible. All the data suggests that Democrats writ large uh, will take Joe Biden over Donald Trump any day of the week. But the base, the Democratic base in poll after survey after study, not excited about uh, Joe Biden uh, necessarily. That's a problem. But then but then thirdly, um, 
you have to, to, to do this against a guy um, who is um, who's going to um, excite the base on the Republican side to some extent um, just because uh, the other side at this point wants anybody but Joe Biden. Uh, they think he's a so, sort of failed president. So I'm just my, my point is I'm, I'm just I'm concerned about I'm concerned about this rematch on the one hand. On the other hand, the reality is that Joe Biden is the only one to date who has beaten Donald Trump. So maybe the president just doesn't give the respect that he deserves, G. Yeah, no, I mean, I think Biden does deserve, like, some uh, a good deal of respect. I mean, both for the victory in 2020, but also in the sort of party building. Like, I think that he is somebody who, like, you know, realizes that he's a party man and, you know, like, um, uh, has to listen to the party. Uh, and so I, mean, I think that's where maybe the kind of, like, uh, hope factor might come in. Like, I think there's a couple of issues where Biden's been, like, uh, you know, because of his age and because of who he is, kind of a bit reluctant. Right. But then he gets prodded by uh, by uh, the Democrats in Congress, and he moves. I, I think abortion is actually one issue. Like, if you if you look at the initial reaction to Dobbs, like you know, the White House was like, you know, they were hit on the head, and they were kind of like stunned, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and didn't know what to do. And then you had people like you know Elizabeth Warren and others, you know, like laying out a strategy. For uh, for fighting this uh, uh, and and using executive power, and Biden's been much more bold than he initially was. So I I, I kind of think, you know, like I think the dynamic we're going to have to see is like to what degree can Biden be pushed to, you know, um, like a, a, a offer a really positive vision. Yeah. And that's the that's a positive vision, but to be fighting, I think that's a big thing. I think yeah. Biden's instincts are always like to try to get along. And but I think you need people want a Democrat who can fight. Yep, uh, I'm watching. I'm watching these three these three groups, and then we'll move on to some other news because uh, there's other there is some Donald Trump news this morning. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, so I'm watching. I'm watching young voters uh, and what the data is telling us about them. I'm watching the base writ large and whether or not they're going to get more excited as we get closer to election day. They just aren't right now. And thirdly and finally, I'm watching as we were discussing earlier progressives. Uh, and whether or not they um, are or can be excited to turn out in this race. And I think you may be right in the end that it's, you know, you make the you make the choice from the available options you have. And if the options are Joe Biden or Donald Trump, that really ain't an option. We shall see. Let me move on from that. We got uh, another year or so to talk about that. Um, this news. Yeah. Uh, uh, actually, I want to one, one, one other factor, though, which sure. is that I think in the primaries, we, we went to, uh, we don't neither of us consider Kennedy or Williamson serious candidates but i think that if, you know if they're i think people use them as a protest vote and if their numbers are healthy enough biden might have to like you know like become more active and mm-hmm. uh do stuff like and i said i think especially williamson is like like i think for a, a lot of reasons she's a flawed candidate but she um she's putting out a fairly progressive agenda so i i, I actually think the primaries Again, if there's a protest vote out there, yeah. that might actually send a signal. Well, that's my point. I'm watching this uh, progressive base to see uh, how they're going to process this and whether or not uh, they start, uh, to your point, um, casting votes uh, in, in protest. And then you got a news story. And once you got a news story, it catches on like wildfire. Uh, and then the president's got a challenge, and that's, that, that's going to be problematic. So let's see uh, in, the coming, in the coming months. Um, Donald Trump, uh, who we referenced earlier in this conversation, uh, is back in the news once again because he, he has lost. Yesterday he lost an emergency attempt to block his former vice president, Mike Pence, from testifying about their direct conversations 
in this latest boost to a federal crime investigation examining Trump's uh, and others' actions after the 2020 election. Trump has fought mightily uh, to block Mike Pence from testifying in this case. Uh, uh, this time, though, he, after all these many attempts, he has failed to close off answers from this particular witness, Mike Pence, uh, in the special counsel's investigation. So this latest order from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals likely means that Pence uh, will testify quickly uh, before this grand jury. And here again, an unprecedented development in modern presidential history where a vice president is going to testify against his former boss, the president of the United States, Donald Trump. What do you make of what do you make of this uh, major story, Jeet? Here. Well, yeah, yeah. First of all, I'm like just really glad that uh, you know the investigation continues. I think a lot of us with the uh, you know January sixth stuff, um, there's a real worry that they they went after all the little people, the people who listened to Donald Trump and were incited to like riot and attack the Capitol, and you know like the. Uh, Department of Justice has been reluctant to go on. So I just want to say, like, you know, like all credit um, uh, to New York for continuing with us. And I think that, like, the the other big thing is that, like, there's a lot of these cases. There's a lot of things that Trump did that were borderline criminal. And I think we're starting to see, and there's real reluctance because of tradition and because the idea, well, this guy was president and it's politically very risky to go after someone that big uh, but i think the dam is breaking like I, I think that we're actually starting to see uh i think you know this this is going forward uh there's uh, uh the the indictment uh also in new york um about uh the forged uh papers there's what well, georgia you know where you know we clearly have trump uh, trying to like influence uh election officials. So I actually think that the Trump is going to be like really tied down with a lot of this legal stuff. Um, the only proviso, and I, I want to tell listeners to be, you know, you know, when the New York indictment came down, like Trump's poll numbers went up in the Republican party, mm -hmm. not in the nation at large, but like, like that's when he starts to surge ahead. And so like, this is not a political solution. I, I, I am very hopeful that the you know the courts will catch up with Trump and that they will be at least at the very least he'll be tied up with the mm. stuff for you know I, many years to come. But but I, I don't think it's going to solve the political problem, which is that you know like re Republican voters love this guy. Yep. Now I think you're right about that. When we come forward, I want to come back though to this Mike Pence issue specifically and and, and get again get your take specifically on what do you make of the fact that Mike Pence now is going to testify against his former boss. We'll come to that. Uh, a great do more to talk about in this hour as we move forward. The Jeet here of the Nation on KBLA Talk 1580. Some breaking news here um, out of Mississippi, uh, the state of my birth. Um, Carolyn Bryant Donham, the woman at the center of the Emmett Till killing, is dead at the age of 88. Um, uh, she is the white woman at the center of the Emmett Till lynching uh, nearly 70 years ago, uh, as you well know uh, the story. The 88-year-old had been battling cancer and was in a hospice care, uh, and uh, we are told that she has died in Mississippi at the age of 88. Uh, she is the white woman who uh, was accused of setting off uh, the 1955 lynching of 14-year-old Emmett in Money, Mississippi, her death comes after a Mississippi grand jury declined to indict her in August of last year over Till's death. You may recall that story. There were a number of uh, protesters who went to 
the place where she was living, the facility, uh, demanding that she be arrested um, because they uh, found last year the arrest warrant in the basement of the jail. As I recall, they found this arrest warrant uh, that all these years later, almost 70 years later, had never been served on her. Um, she uh, essentially lied on Emmett Till, but all these years had been protected uh, from her lie. Uh, and uh, the arrest warrant that was uh, uh, supposed to be used uh, to arrest her was never never used. Uh, again, as I recall, I've covered this story many times over my career, as I recall, uh, the, the police chief um, at the time um, said that they didn't want to bother her. She was a mother with children, and she was... Uh, busy mothering and they didn't really want to uh, bother her as it were uh, and so uh, 70 years uh, went by and uh, that arrest warrant was never served on Carolyn Bryant Donham uh, but now um, it would not be served uh, she's 88 and she is uh, dead uh, passed away uh, today apparently in Mississippi uh, again 70 years almost 70 years after the lynching of uh, Emmett Till, and uh, that part of the story is now closed. Um, so she uh, she wrote that out 70 years, never got uh, arrested, warrant never served. Um, you know the old line, uh, justice delayed uh, can in fact be justice denied. And so for whatever she did uh, to lead to the tragic lynching of Emmett Till, she was never held responsible for whatever story she told to those white men who went and pulled him out of that bed uh, and lynched him. She never was held accountable for it um, for 70 years. I digress, but there's breaking news there. Um, Carolyn uh, Bryant Dunham is now uh, is now deceased. Okay, um, it's, it's, it's tragic. Um, it's tragic. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to process all this in real time. It's tragic when you... See a story like that, nobody wishes, you know, um, anybody to die. Of course, we all, as I said yesterday, talking about Harry Belafonte, every one of us eventually has to do that dance with mortality. So you don't wish death on anyone, even those who, uh, even your haters. Uh, and yet, uh, there's something something really tragic uh, beyond the way uh, young 14-year-old Emmett was lynched. Something really tragic about the fact that she lived another 70 years, essentially, and was never, ever ever held accountable for her actions in that case. And that is what troubles me this morning. Uh, I digress. We continue our conversation now with Jeet here, National Affairs Correspondent for The Nation magazine and host of the Weekly Nation podcast. We were talking before news, traffic, and sports, and before that breaking news, Jeet, about uh, Donald Trump losing his fight to stop Mike Pence from testifying uh, in front of this grand jury. Uh, again, this has never happened in the history of our country, never happened in the history uh, of the, the executive branch. Um, so specifically on that question, before I move on very quickly here, what do you make of the fact that Mike Pence will now have to testify about his conversations with Donald Trump vis-a-vis -vis what happened January 6th? Well, yeah, I think there's a, something very interesting just about Pence's own particular situation because he's been reluctant to testify even though, like, you know, he's sort of given comments that indicates obviously he doesn't appreciate what Trump did on January 6th, uh, including, like, possibly inciting a mob to kill Pence himself, right? Mm -hmm. And put Pence and his family in danger. But, like, you know, Pence has been, uh, I think, the sort of very uh, figure of Republican cowardice in the face of Trump. You know, like, you know, like, this is, you know, Trump tried, you know, uh, 
getting close to getting Pence killed, and uh, uh, Pence, uh, you know, has mildly rebuked Trump, but also not wanted to be part of justice. He he did he resisted testifying to uh, the uh, congressional investigation, uh, and he resisted on the argument of. Um, uh, executive uh, uh, power and, you know, like this would hurt the power and the special relationship between the vice president and the president uh, to make a vice president testify. And uh, I'm really glad to see that, you know, like um, uh, the courts have been able to overcome that and to like, you know, like to say that we're the United States should be a nation of laws, not of men. Uh, and that actually goes to the Emma Till. I mean, I just wanted to comment on that. I mean, that, you know, it's not just like this uh, white woman, you know, who's at the center of this, but this whole culture of impunity, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, you know, white people uh, being able to like enforce uh, uh, apartheid and with violence and get away with that. And she was able to get away with it because, you know, like the sheriff and the community and, you know, like nobody wanted to see that crime punished. And, and I think that's a very horrible thing to live in a society where, you know, crimes, people know crimes are committed and they go unpunished. Yeah. And I think that that's what happened with the, Trump's whole presidency. Everybody saw it. We all saw the crimes that were done, uh, and there's been a reluctance to punish. And but I'm I'm, I'm I just want to be uh, the good news is in this Trump's case, we're seeing some movement. Yeah, no, I, I love your phrase, uh, and that's why you are the national affairs correspondent uh, because you're a great writer. It's a great phrase. It's a culture of impunity. That's exactly what it is. Um, we see that in our country, sadly, um, uh, this culture of impunity that Jeet here speaks of now is what allows a woman to live for 70 more years uh, and never be held accountable for her actions in the Emmett Till case. Um, and uh, to Jeet's point, uh, that has happened far too long already vis-a-vis Donald Trump. But now, as Malcolm X might say, the chickens are coming home to roost. Uh, we hope at least. Uh, again, none of this means that Trump will ever be wearing a necessarily wearing an orange jumpsuit uh, behind bars. We'll wait to see what actually happens in this case or these cases, plural. There are many of them, as Jeet said earlier. But it is fascinating. Uh, it's interesting yeah. to see. And also, also yeah. I mean, the, uh, in the news today, the, the, uh, the ongoing rape case. Yeah, exactly. I saw the testimony, yeah. Um, the yeah. testimony in the rape case against Donald Trump. That is proceeding. Um, from what I'm told, uh, the witness in that case, um, the, the lady at the, the woman at the, end of the center of that story, I am told, I didn't see it, gave some powerful testimony uh, yesterday. I, I saw a number of articles where she said, I am here today because I want my life back. I'm here to reclaim my life. And she went on to tell this uh, apparently horrible story uh, about uh, what she alleges was a rape of her by Donald Trump, uh, of course, prior to his presidency. But uh, that case is proceeding. These other four cases uh, that Jeet mentioned early in New York State, uh, uh, two in the Department of Justice, one about the documents at his house in Mar-a-Lago, the other, of course, about January 6th, uh, Fannie Willis in Atlanta, Georgia. So there are a number of cases. And again, this woman on trial now, not on trial, but uh, presenting her case uh, of uh, about rape. There's a lot. There's a lot, a whole lot <laughs> coming at Donald Trump. It takes five minutes to get it out. There's so much coming at him. But Again, to Jeet's point, this culture of impunity seems to be closing in on him. And now we know that Mike Pence, his vice president, uh, who, again, uh, he tried to go after, essentially, now will be testifying against him. We will see what happens with that. Moving on to two of the other things I want to cover in this hour, a lot as it, uh, to talk about politically in this hour. There's a new poll out, speaking of Donald Trump, that finds that less than one quarter of Americans, less than one quarter of Americans view uh, MAGA, MAGA, however you want to pronounce it, positively. 
uh, a new nationwide NBC News poll uh, finds that just 24% of Americans have a positive view of the MAGA movement, while 45% had a negative view. So uh, this is good data, it seems, Jeet, for the president uh, that people are having, uh, if not Donald Trump, uh, having a, a, a view of his so-called movement that is not so positive. Yeah, no, that's right. And I think that's really where the strength of the Democrats lie. I mean, you, you and I might wish that, you know, they could also have a more positive program to excite voters. But I, I do think that the real revulsion that a lot of Americans have against MAGA is a very powerful political force. And, you know, it comes from not just Trump's presidency, but the fact that he spawned all these kind of like mini Trumps. Uh, and people like, you know, even if people don't pay a lot of attention to politics, they turn on the TV and they see Kerry Lake or Marjorie mm. Taylor Greene or, uh, you know, like last fall, uh, Mehmet Oz. And they see these people who are like really, uh, they're beyond regular politics, right? Yeah. They're beyond, you know, like you and I, we might be able to, you know, disagree with a, a, a Mitt Romney or a John McCain on politics, but the, this current group, like, the, the, they are bringing a level of like lying and, insane conspiracy theories and uh, a real like vitriolic hatred that 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 is like so um um off-putting i think yep. to like you know uh, not just progressives but i think like just regular mainstream people like yeah. I, I i i think maga is such a polarizing thing yep uh when we come forward with our guest jeet here national affairs correspondent for the nation uh Two other things I want to get to before we lose them at the top of the hour. One issue uh, he wrote about, uh, this sort of progressive Midwest resurgence. We were talking earlier in this hour about what progressives are to do uh, in this presidential race, um, given that uh, Joe Biden uh, may be a good Democrat, but he's not a progressive by any stretch. What are progressives to do this time around in 2024? Uh, we'll talk about that and a, and a piece that Jeet uh, recently wrote uh, about uh, a resurgence of progressives in the Midwest, at least. And uh, I haven't. Uh, there's been so much news this week. I haven't gotten to Elon Musk. I want to talk about that a as well, uh, and what he's really doing to just destroy Twitter. Uh, both NPR and PBS have said they are no longer using uh, Twitter over misleading labels added to their accounts. So two major news organizations, NPR and PBS, have both backed away, and that's a, that. They join a long list of folk who are no longer using Twitter. Uh, Elon Musk seems to be uh, imploding um, this. This platform, which many have used um, uh, for a lot of good reasons and purposes over the years, but he's uh, buying it for billions of dollars and then tearing it up, as it were. We'll talk about that when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Let me start with this, uh, Jeet here, uh, National Affairs Correspondent for The Nation magazine. Um, the piece you wrote recently, and a few others have been talking about this, we were honored to have Brandon Johnson, the new uh, mayor-elect of the city of Chicago on this program a couple of times during that campaign, and we had him on the day after he won. Um, he's one example. There's the sister Janet in Wisconsin, whose last name I cannot pronounce. I'm sure you can, uh, who won the uh, won the Supreme Court seat there. Uh, but there seems to be something happening with progressives in the Midwest, never mind the fact they don't have anybody on the ballot for president, but they are making some headway uh, in parts of this country. Talk to me about that, G. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think the Midwest has become a real battleground over the last, like, 10 years. And it really goes back to, like, 2010, where, you know, the uh, Tea Party, like, uh, took over a lot of places. And uh, 
used gerrymandering to make it very undemocratic mm-hmm. and was pushing these places like, you know, Wisconsin in particular, like really far to the right. And the the good thing is that it is a sort of counter response. Um, and you know, you have cases like like in Wisconsin where like you know the Democrats could get get fifty five percent of the vote and the Republicans were still like have the majority of seats in the uh, in the state like which is uh, just nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people are organizing, especially unions felt like their backs were against the wall. There's a place with a real tradition of blue collar you know union organizing, and I think it's really coalesced to create a really um, inspiring movement. And I think Brandon Johnson benefited from that, the teachers union, uh, in Chicago. And he's created a new coalition that's, you know, as left as anything Chicago seen since Harold Washington, really. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, um, uh, and, uh, and then Wisconsin as well. Like, I think they're going to, they're on the verge of taking back the state of, uh, reversing, uh, the, hopefully the gerrymandering. Um, and I think this is the most uh, positive aspect. I think the, 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 the components are the unions, and sort of this, the young people that, uh, who, who like, you know, live in these places and, you know, like don't want to live under minority Republican rule. Mm-hmm. Um, she won a huge race in Wisconsin. We're talking about it now. And I cannot, as I said earlier, how, how do you pronounce her last name, Jeet? Oh, I don't think I can say it either. It's a kind of a very uh, long. Uh, it's protested. Uh, but, but, but the, the Supreme Court justice. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Nobody can pronounce her last name. It's uh, it's spelled just just because I want to humor you, or those who are listening. It's spelled P R O T A S I E W I C Z. I'm sure one of my listeners will call me and tell me exactly how to pronounce it. Um, yeah. I, like Protastawiz, I'm not sure. Uh, but it's, <laughs> I just called it the but, white but, sister but no, in Wisconsin. But no, but, and, and it wasn't even like a close race. She yeah. went like by, you know, 54, 55%. Uh, and the GOP, I mean, to go back to the MAGA point, they really went all in on this, like, trans stuff. Like, putting out these messages, like, you know, like, uh, the, you know, like uh, that they're going to come take away your children, groomers, all this stuff. And it did backfire. So yeah. that's very inspiring. When we come forward in our remaining moments with uh, Jeet here, how Elon Musk has upended Twitter and his own reputation in just six months as CEO after paying billions for it. Um, Here's a quote from um, uh, Vivian Schiller, uh, who was the former Twitter chair of Global News in a recent conversation, recent interview. She said the following, and I quote, Twitter has never been perfect. It had a lot of problems, but it was critical global infrastructure for information that Elon Musk is now systematically, frankly, vandalizing. Uh, we'll talk about Elon Musk when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. When Elon Musk uh, agreed to buy Twitter, he promised to make the company better than ever with greater transparency, fewer bots, a stronger business, and more what he called free speech. Uh, none of that seems to have happened since he took over. As you recall, he paid $44 billion for it in late October. Now we are told that Twitter is valued at around $20 billion. He paid 44 valued at $20 billion, and some believe that estimate is even high. Uh, and he has warned uh, 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 more than once uh, that Twitter may be at risk of filing for bankruptcy. Um, so one day he's suggesting he may file bankruptcy. The next day he's saying he brought it back from the brink of collapse by laying off 80% of Twitter staff. Um, NPR, PBS, and many others are pulling away from using the platform. Uh, in the two minutes I have left, Jeet, what do you make of what Elon Musk has done or not done, as it were, uh, vis-a-vis Twitter? Well, it's, a, it's been a disaster, and I think it has real wide resonance because Twitter at its best really helped um, – like uh, all sorts of groups organized. I mean, you know, there's a thing, Black Twitter, right? Like mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter, like a lot of this coalesced. 
and unfortunately, like his whole attitude is like you know he's trying to squeeze people for money, uh, make profits, and the lose value of Twitter having these verified accounts that you know who's talking and you can quote them. That's all gone. So like it's just become a, a real mess, and I, I don't see how they pull out of this. Yeah, it's gonna be fascinating. Uh, it's his money, so uh, you know you want to if you want to blow forty four billion. Uh, he is the, he is the richest man in the world. So if you want to blow forty four billion, then that's on you. Um, but uh, for those who use Twitter and have used it for all kinds of good ends and aims, uh, to see the way he's imploding yeah. this is kind of sad to watch. Um, but I digress. It's, it's very sad. It's, it's been a great. It was a great sight at his best. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yep. National affairs correspondent for the Nation Magazine, Jeet here. Thank you for coming on. We'll do it again, my friend. All the best to you. Okay, great. Always great to talk. Thank you, sir. Just getting started around here. That's hour one. That went fast. Uh, now we've got uh, hours two and three in front of us uh, in our second hour. Kasanya K. Wise Whitehead on uh, what these firings uh, mean for cable news, uh, if anything. Uh, in our third hour, Barbara McQuaid is back to talk about uh, the Proud Boys on trial. Uh, you, we've been talking so much about Donald Trump and his drama. We haven't gotten to the Proud Boys in their January 6th trial, which is uh, underway. We'll talk about that with her. And uh, on the B side of our third and final hour, uh, Everett Sands, the CEO of Lindustry, joins us live in studio. So two great hours in front of us. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580.